correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here with my friend Steve. Hello. And we have another D20 Podcast Network host. From the Table Flip Podcast, we have Micah on this week. So why don't you go ahead and shout out your podcast. Yeah, hey folks, this is Micah, a.k.a. Uh, Fat Crab, here, host of Table Flip Podcast, co-host of Table Flip Podcast, I should say. I also uh, have co-hosts of my own uh, on that, Tyler and Lindsay. If you recognize my voice, you probably recognize their voice. Anyway, hi folks. So uh, tell us a little bit about Table Flip. I know I was listening to your initial uh, live play today, actually, because I kept meaning to and forgotten and went, hey, oh, I'm talking to him tonight. I should... At least be somewhat familiar. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh, well, one, I hope you're enjoying the initial live play. The audio quality, mic quality issues aside, that was actually um, put a lot of energy into doing the backtracking and, and sound effects for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the concept of Table Flip is that we want to explore every setting on the Genesis Foundry marketplace. So we have been going in chronological order of release. So that might change a little bit, but we're going to go through every setting. That's the intent. And we talk a little bit about the setting. Uh, we make characters for the setting and discuss it. And then we do an actual session of actual play in that respective setting with one to two public players from the community Discord server. And then after that, we do a, an interview with the author or one of the authors of the setting. So we've talked to Sam Gregor Stewart so far. We've had a chat with GM Phil. We've had a conversation with Scott Zumwalt and uh, Guillaume Tardif. And I think that's it, though I feel like... Oh, and uh, Chris Witt, GM Chris. And that's it uh, so far. But um, we'll continue to sort of slog through and... I, I, not slog. It's actually been really fun, but we'll continue to frolic through and uh, keep recording setting explorations, we call them. Cool, cool. Yeah, I do. And actually, I mean, like, it's one of those where I keep going, I need to listen to that. And then I see something shiny or I'm training a new person at work and I can't devote, I can't split my attention that many ways. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) And, And as far as GM Chris, if he talks to you like he talks to us, He's probably still talking on the other end of the call, even though you hung up a month ago. <laughs> I love the, Chris. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, you know, the conversation we had with Chris was actually really great. So a lot of the times the conversations with the authors will be about the process they went through in writing the setting. But very often that branches into discussion about setting creation approaches or just creating community content for an actual marketplace and platform and how you do that and create quality. So Chris had some really awesome ideas about playtesting in that conversation. So I recommend listening to that interview just for his input on the best ways to playtest. 
mm-hmm. uh, for that information alone. It was, it was really cool. Talked a lot about like not don't just be the GM, but also be a player in your own playtest sessions to see how other people learn how to GM in your content. That was super neat. You know, with Guillaume Tardif, uh, he is uh, a French Canadian, and French is his primary language. So, but he writes all. Of, he makes his products in English uh, mm-hmm. for an English marketplace. So we talked to him about creating content in a second language and and sort of the process for that. And there's some really cool tips and tricks that he uses that I think are useful not just to second, you know, English as a second language creation, but also just writing in general. Well, yeah. Yeah. So like the the conversations have been fantastic. They're not just about like the settings with these authors. A lot of times they talk about some like the technical detail of just like how to actually create content, mm-hmm. which has been super rad. And Chris was a great conversation. That, that, so that, I was trying to remember why I went into that tangent. And Chris had a lot of really, really cool stuff to say about that. So I, I think it's definitely worth a listen to at some point. I find with Chris, I could hear him read a phone book and it would be entertaining. He would be super excited about it. And you would, you would feel that excitement. I feel like he would get through it at a surprising pace. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he would start and get to the end and you would be like, is that the end? <laughs> <laughs> well, he'd fit it within the time constraints of a convention game. Right. But it would still be very exciting. So Right, exactly. It, <laughs> All right. So I figured, given the theme of your show and some experiences that Steve and I have had personally, we'd bring you on, one, because, well, you have a cool show on the D20 Network, and we like to, like, spread people that around. And as it turns out, there was somebody on the Discord last week that was looking for your show because they heard about it on our show and they were from Russia. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they found a way to access the show. I forget how, but apparently yeah. all of our um, distribution channels, cause we go through anchor FM uh, IP block Russia right now for, for obvious and, and very good reasons. But yeah, I don't know how he actually was able to access if he just used a VPN or what, <laughs> but I'm glad he, he, he found how to access it and, and is enjoying yeah. it. At some point, we're going to put it on YouTube, too. I, that's on my to-do list, but we'll see. Yeah. But anyway, as I was trying to say before I sidetracked myself, we wanted to <laughs> talk to you about setting expectations, both in the context of when you're playing in, in maybe one of these foundry settings or it's a custom setting of your own, and expectations both in the context of what can your players expect from the setting, but also just setting those expectations of what you expect from your players and your players can expect from you. Because I think for as wonderful of a toolbox as Genesis specifically is, but even with games like say Savage Worlds or any of these other toolbox games, Cortex Prime, whatever, I think it's really easy for a GM to come up with most of a structure and they have a very clear idea of what they want to do but if it's not communicated effectively to the rest of the table, then player A thinks it's going to be this, and player B thinks it's going to be this, and so on. And the GM has another idea, and then you try to play, and you're everyone's kind of half confused and disappointed. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I I, I think I get what you're saying, and I I think that you know a big part of it too is I well I hate to say it, but this is also one of the things where it's like session zero is important. Do a session zero. <laughs> But I, I, I hate to say that because everything boils down when it comes to table interactions. It almost always boils down to 
you guys should really do a session zero. <laughs> like you should just have uh, that that moment. But I mean, even a session zero, like if you don't do it, if you don't know what questions to ask and what discussion to have, you can still run into this issue of expectation mismatch, be it in the setting or the tone or whatever you want to do. I mean, even in terms of like, I mean, I, th- I think setting, I think they all sort of tie together tightly, but even in terms of like gamist versus narrativist uh, style play, like that, that, that all has to be hammered out in that session zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, yeah, it's, and like, I think it's, how do I want to say it? I think, like you said, session zero goes a long way, but like, and we were talking a little bit before we recorded that Steve and I were both involved in a game not too long ago where based on the conversations we had with the GM and conversations that were had in our session zero and so on, we had one expectation of what the GM wanted to do. And then when we started play, it was something else and not that it was terribly far removed, but like character concepts didn't quite work because of what we had thought we were playing you know, the yeah themes and so forth. And like, I don't know how to say it other than I think, you know, you just have to be, you know, and maybe this is, you know, we're talking about some, maybe just the, the language and the ways to say things, but you know, don't kind of go, well, it's this mixed with a little bit of this because not everyone's going to have the same frame of reference that, that you do. Yeah. That makes sense. Definitely. I think that, what you're saying, like, yeah, this idea of like describing a setting, and, and this can be effective, but you know, this a little, it's it's kind of like a little bit of A and a little bit of B, and it's it's you know, it's A ish B ish. You're like, okay, cool, but that doesn't go a very far distance to setting an expectation. I think, especially in narrative focused games like Genesis, where a lot of emphasis is put on creating a story for your character. I think maybe the question that should be asked for those situations, and, and this is really on the GM. I mean, I think a lot of this is sort of on the GM to ask, but I also maybe put a little bit excess responsibility on the GM, is to ask the player, what story do you want to tell with your character? And then based on that answer, the GM can gauge where the player's expectations lay. So you don't even really need to get to the... the like, what's the setting? It's more like, like, the setting is, well, that's not true. The setting's important, but equally as important in Genesis in particular, but I, I think any sort of narrative-focused game, so like Powered by the Apocalypse or Blades in the Dark or anything like that, where narrative and fiction are front and foremost, you want to say, like, hey, what story are you telling with this character? Is this a sort of a coming-of-age story or something? Or do you want to have, like, a redemption arc for your character or whatever? Like, what do you what do you want to do? You know, what are the big external pressures that you're really dealing with beyond just, like, the baddie? Yeah, I think, you know, and and also, you know, that as a, as a player, yeah, you want to communicate that. I think as a GM, too, you want to communicate the themes that you're looking to explore in the campaign. You know, are you looking to do a more action-driven campaign? Are you looking right. to do a lot more investigation? And and those are very broad terms too, right? Like, you know, oh, we're, we're doing investigation. Well, does investigation mean heist breaking and entering stuff? Or is it gumshoeing around and a lot of stakeouts and observing? Sure. 
and I mean, even I think it even goes further than that, like mechanically too. Like, are you investig? I think investigation games are some of the hardest games to run, actually, because you can either you can have like these like really focused mechanical points, like these 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 event or these incident points in your in your game that you require very specific things to do, and that that approach gets a lot of um, pushback. But it, I think it's a valid approach. But it also means that like you you've made a very gamey game, and it's gonna be really slow in certain regards. And your player should be aware of that. Versus the other type of investigation where it's sort of oh you're gonna get the clue you need by the end of this scene, and then you just figure out what that clue is based on what happens in the scene. Where it's very free form investigation, mm-hmm. and that has a totally different impact on how your your players are expecting to play the game. Obviously, so I think that. I don't remember what my point was, <laughs> but it somehow ties into, I think it, like it ties in, like there's like this mechanical aspect too, because you're right. It, it, it isn't all like narrative. I think, I think what you were saying is that there's like these me- mechanical or, or structural parts of the game that you, you can end up having an expectation mismatch and you need to figure out a way to address them. And I think that investigative games in particular have a much higher capacity for structural mismatch. I would agree. I mean, investigative games for as much as like I've run some Delta Green, which is based off Call of Cthulhu, is an investigative game. And I mean, based on Steve's comments from when he played it with me, I apparently run it quite narrative, at least compared Mm -hmm. to what he was exposed to at the time. But yeah, investigation is weird. And, And you bring up a valid point there in that investigation, you have to figure out how to give the players clues and be careful. You don't paint yourself into a corner by hiding them behind roles. Because I mean, I've said this before on the podcast, but if you need them to find it out, don't make it something they have to succeed at a role for, because inevitably that's when everyone will roll like crap. And it's happened to me after I said that and was just not thinking about it at the time, (laughs) you know, and, there are also, though, I don't know if you've ever done anything with the gumshoe system. That was, I'd say, the last investigative game that, that I've gotten a chance to play, and Steve ran that. That has a really unique mechanic for that, because you don't roll so much as you just spend points. Interesting. I Yeah, I've heard really good things about it. I haven't dived... Uh, yeah, I haven't explored it too deeply yet, but... It's it's a really interesting system. Cause you're right, because you don't have, like, any, like, you don't have set, it really embraces, like, the not having set clues idea, right? Like, you sort of come up with the clues on the fly towards where you need to end up going. Yes, but I, it can. When I ran it, I didn't follow that so much as just, okay. I had a hunch of, I, I had a good idea of where they were going. It was just a question of how they were getting there. So, yeah, you you can, and I know it's in the book, and I know that was some of the stuff that I read over. I just sort of was like, that's fine. I'm just going to, you know, do my own thing because, like, that's a good idea, but I don't want to confuse them too much. Yeah, I mean, if that works, and if that works for you, that works for you too, because, I mean, that's also a big part of investigative games, though, too, right? Is that, like, I, I think, like, the, 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 the necessity to really know your table is higher for investigative games than than other game types possibly yeah and getting to know them quickly at least is is important well and 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 just to sort of circle back around i feel and and maybe you can talk we can talk a little bit about this but 
I feel like even if you can't get it expressed in your session zero, doing like after session check-ins during the, especially during the early sessions of a campaign is super important to make sure your players are, are in the expectation or you've set expectations correctly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will never naysay doing uh intercession check-ins or um, after session debriefs or whatever you want to, however you want to label them. But I mean, just, a- just ask your players after the session, Hey guys, did you have fun? What mm-hmm. did you find fun? And what did you find least fun? Uh, or what did you hate? If, if it, you know, give me feedback. I usually just go, what's the good, what's the bad, and what's the ugly? Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to do it. I, I think the challenge there is that that people don't like giving other people negative feedback. <laughs> that's, oh, yeah. It's, it's really hard to get that. And honestly, like I, I, I love it when I do like a session debrief and everyone's like, oh, no, it was great. I loved everything about it. I'm like, that's cool. But how, how do I make it better for you? Like, mm-hmm. I know there's there has to be, th- like, there are, are things I'm doing that, aren't meshing or that aren't meshing as well as they could for you right so like how do i fix that and i need to know like tell me i suck and why i suck i'm fine with Mm -hmm. it Um, Mm -hmm. and getting your players to do that is that's actually really hard that's that's like Mm -hmm. pulling teeth i find myself sometimes i'll focus in on something i'll focus in on something that i feel like they might have had a problem with and just be like what did you guys think of this and that's when they'll go either they you know either it wasn't an issue and i was just i was just uh perceiving role play as as like out of character struggle or it was completely an issue and i finally got them to break through on that issue yeah yeah that that's that's, if you can point to something specifically that you know that is maybe not controversial but like has mixed reactions from your players Mm -hmm. that's it's a great way to sort of spur feedback i i have had the, the situation where like I've, I've done that and the feedback and it, it like triggers feedback from one player but, but then like literally it's totally contrary to like what the other players have how they've responded to it and i i'll admit that like that i still don't know what to do with those types of situations <laughs> like where other than saying like maybe this isn't the table for you i like i don't it's it's you get a weird it's it's hard to navigate that yeah i think that's usually the hard answer to that question is it's it's usually like, okay, well, if this is a major issue for you, maybe this isn't the table for you. But if it isn't a major issue, you know, maybe we can push past this. Well, I'm reminded of, I was listening to Ken and Robin talk about stuff months no. ago. Yeah, oh, it's a great podcast, by the way, for anyone that doesn't listen to it. Um, Ken Height, Robin D. Laws, do I need to say anything more? But they were talking actually specifically about playtesting on this one episode. And they said something that I found interesting, and it was that pay attention to all the feedback you get from your playtesters, but not necessarily how they tell you to fix their perceived problems. And what yeah. they were saying in that, I think, was that they're telling you about a, a potentially real problem. However, their solution may not be the actual solution. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that that's I think that's fair. That's a total that's I think that's totally right because i mean their solution is going to be one focus on just like their problem in a vacuum Mm -hmm. sort of inherently also if you if you read like a lot of game development forums and papers and discussions this is a constant issue that players in in video games and this applies to tabletop rpgs too i think don't always necessarily know what's 
bothering them about something mm-hmm. they think they do but it, it, the trick and the way that you so sure yourself to be like really good is to like navigate that and like realize no no okay this is actually what what, what the issue is and i can tweak this thing over here to um increase your enjoyment of, of this of the game and yeah i mean i, I honestly i think also in in my experience aside from like really egregious egregious issues like crossing someone's lines or you know totally obliterating the idea of a veil or something like that but for the most part a lot of stuff is solved by just uh figuring out ways to really engage your players because i think a lot of what happens is that disengagement manifests in games for players in in different ways so it'll be like i find this boring or like i want to know more about this and not that and what they're really saying is like i'm not engaged with what you're giving me right now mm-hmm. and you have to figure out a way to fix that but i mean and, but that's that's like the core fundamental part of running a game is engaging your players right right so yeah steve has a fabulous dirty trick for this that it works great for campaign stuff not so much for one shots but I, I tell him this all the time every time he brings it up but he's really good for when you sit down to start your next session and go okay what happened last session <laughs> <laughs> and to me, it's such a beautiful... It's such a dirty trick. It's so lazy. <laughs> you don't even know. <laughs> I, I, as someone who... One of my regular games where I'm a player does this all the time, where the players are um, on call to summarize, do the recap of last session. It is a dirty trick. But it's a, it is effective. Oh, yeah. It's a very effective dirty trick. Yeah. Yeah. It's... it. I'm not the note taker. I've never been the note taker of the group. Like when I run games, I take bare, bare minimum notes. I know what's going on. I have everything in my head. That's why I tend to burn out on games that I get too far of a break away from them. And I tend to be like, yeah, I, uh, I'm kind of burnt out on this because I don't remember where I was going. And that's just a that's just a folly on my end. But I love going to my players and being like, all right, what happened last session? Because it tells me what they paid attention to, what they didn't pay attention to. And like if somebody's telling what happened last session and and they forgot something that another player really found important, they'll go, well, but what about this? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. That that that's actually it. yeah. You 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 know at least some portion of your players are engaged and they're correcting each other on the recap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's yeah. Like you were saying about you know the feedback and unfortunately that doesn't give you the the negative feedback. But I think to kind of circle back into the expectations, you know, it's one of those things where it can also let you get a good gauge on are you conveying what you want to convey with the tone you intended or are you coming across completely different? Yeah. Like the the example that, that sticks in my head and this will tell some people how old I am, but I remember watching, there was this little, you know, 30 second clip on Sesame street one time when I was a kid and it was this alligator walking and they played it with two different music beds over top of it. And one of them was this sinister, you know, dun, 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 you know, dread thing. And the other was like this crazy carnival music. And it was funny as heck. And it was the same video. And just to me, that that's an example of you think you're doing one thing, but maybe it's coming across as something else. Sure. And, and like you were saying about, you know, getting the feedback can, can help, you know, if you're, giving the information that you intend to give yeah i'm just trying to think of ways for 
how to integrate that into because ideally you want to like nip that in the bud before you even get to session one right so that how do you do nice. that in between session zero and session one uh, other than doing the session zero right because the assumption here being that in session zero you've already had that miscommunication happen where the players are expecting or some players are expecting something different than what the gm is anticipating mm -hmm. and i'm wondering if uh just having a, this simple question from the gm and have the players like email it to them or something like so they have time to think about it and write to them afterwards say what are you most excited about for the upcoming session and that i think might go a long way to i mean you know if their expectations are already off kilter then the gm's kind of in a bind <laughs> they might need to readjust but i don't know whatever man like that's the, the job of the gm like think on your feet so uh mm -hmm. do it <laughs> is my advice but uh i think that might be like the the only way I can really think of to sort of address that like session zero, session one communication gap that can happen. No, I think though, that's actually a very good suggestion, you know, especially considering, you know, we're all on discord, email, et cetera, constantly anymore, but, you know, have that conversation individually with your players about, you know, Hey, what are you, what are you looking forward to? Because I've had, this has happened to me at least twice where I went into a session zero with, one concept in mind and then we have our session zero and the players go or or you mutually come up with where the players do it and you just sort of ride the wave where they go yeah we're gonna do this other thing instead of the thing you were thinking about and you're going oh that sounds like a lot of fun i want to do that but <laughs> now half of the pre-planning i had already done just went out the window um <laughs> well the real answer to that is don't don't plan it's, don't ever make plans as a GM. Yeah, <laughs> bullet points and put them in a different gun. But but yeah, yeah like exactly. you know, like well, I'm I'm you know the Star Wars game that we're currently playing. We were going to do this thing where they were going to be you know scavengers and scrappers and so forth. Everyone thought that was a pretty cool idea. We'd been you know messaging back and forth. Then we sit down and have a session zero. They decide they want to be a pod racing team, which I'm completely on board with because it's no secret to most of them. I'm, a bit of a gearhead, right? So racing, I'm like, oh, sure, yeah. Then I start looking. There's like one little blurb in one book about pod racing and all of the Star Wars RPG materials. Like, well, shoot. <laughs> well, that, that, that's an opportunity for you to create an entirely new system for Star Wars RPG that you can't share uh, publicly because Disney you might come after you. share it publicly. You just can't make you money can share, off of yeah. it. Um, but anyway, well, you yeah. know, but, but, you know, or, or another, I was, I was going to try and run a game at one point with one theme in a, in a given, let's call it a given setting. And I had a pretty solid concept of what I wanted to do. So we go to have session zero and Steve was there and it changed from being this kind of paramilitary expedition to a bunch of college film students going to make a documentary <laughs> in the same location. Okay. <laughs> and like, it, it it just went, well, okay, how do I readjust my pieces? Because the enthusiasm of the players are showing for this is really high. It works in the context of what I want to do, mm -hmm. but I have to approach it differently. And unfortunately, that game never made it any farther than the session. Well, we did play like a session one but then it fell apart due to scheduling and time zones and, and all those things. And us deciding that I completely forgot about that. 
<laughs> that I really wanted to do it in Genesis instead of the system hack that we had found. And I haven't got a chance to rework all the things I need to rework for Genesis to do it yet. But anyway, sure. Because there were, well, I figured out a way around the IP restrictions, but you know, we'll get to that eventually. But like, you know, that was like, so we had the session zero and I got, you know, the, from the players, I get this other idea that, well, okay, this works, but now I have to restructure things. Yeah. And it, it wasn't in that case, it wasn't an issue because we all had a very concrete reference point of what we were doing as far as a physical setting, but it was the mm -hmm. lens through which we were viewing it that got moved. And I don't know, I guess in that case, it, it, it very much helped that we had a very defined physical setting. And I think, you know, where, where some games may run is if you're defining your setting as a mix of, you know, Batman and into the Badlands, just to throw two somewhat dissimilar things out sure, there. Yeah. But like that probably means three different things to the three of us in this conversation. Yeah, I was just saying, I think that that's a, more of an issue of when you're using like other IPs as as you're sort of like mapping for what your setting your it, original setting is like. Maybe just don't do that. <laughs> okay. Just don't don't use that. Like use them as inspiration, but don't use them as like the reference point to describe to your players because okay. you're like saying something like into the Batman's and Batman is. Um, I and I could totally see someone saying that too, and, and like, I, what what the hell does that mean? <laughs> like, I mean, Western ninjas with bat costumes. Yeah, and I think you're you're onto something there, though. When you say, "What the hell does that mean?" I think you just need to respond back with that. Like, not maybe not yeah. in that tone, but I think if somebody does throw that pitch at you, you go, "What does that? What What do you mean? What do you mean? Please elaborate." Yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, what? What do you mean by that? There's the tone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 No, but that, I mean, the players certainly should ask that. But I think also as a GM too, that take inspiration from other media, obviously. I mean, you, you can't not take inspiration from other media. That's just how our brains work, right? But when you are doing the elevator pitch to your players, try and ignore the fact that the, that the other media exists entirely. And just describe it as as a new thing, and then after it's like, and what I'm saying is, it's Batman meets Into the Badlands. Mm -hmm. But before that, you should have like a very long preamble that takes you know five minutes to describe that is about you know your original verbiage <laughs> describing your setting, which is a lot of work. But good GMing is a lot of work. So I think that kind of gets to maybe kind of the point of of what at least in my brain was the whole intent of this conversation is raised. How do you accurately convey what you're thinking to your players without a string of confusing or potentially confusing half references? Sure. Well, I think that's, you know, part of that issue is how definite are you with your setting, right? So mm -hmm. if you're at the point where the only way that you can describe the setting you're going to do is to make these sort of referential mappings to existing media and you don't really have anything nailed down beyond that that might be a really good indicator that not that you don't have a setting and not that not that you're not ready to play in this world but that your players might 
have a lot more input into developing the setting mm -hmm. than you had initially thought at which point you say this is kind of what i'm thinking you know i'm thinking i want to do into the badlands plus batman plus a thousand uh, ten thousand leagues under the sea twenty thousand leagues under the sea a lot of leagues under the sea uh <laughs> and some dead ball just for fun yeah exactly yeah and then They'll say, and then your players will say, I don't know what any of that means. That's, that sounds super cool. You're excited. I'm on board. Let's do this. Uh, and then you'll realize, oh, you don't have, you're not able to really succinctly describe what that all boils down to. So then you say to your players, okay, cool. So what setting exactly do you want out of this? Yeah, I've, I've done a little bit of that myself. And then sometimes I'll just go, you know, sometimes, and we've talked about this a little bit already, but just a little bit more. Sometimes you run into these tonal issues where the game has been running for a while and maybe you're losing the plot or you're, you're not fully following where you originally wanted to go. And so what I'll do a lot of times, especially with setting is, is let my players, I, I go to my players and be like, okay, what does this look like? You know, how are you communicating with them? What, you know, just try and get the tone back in your head as the GM to be like, especially from the players, because you need to keep in mind as the GM, it's the best laid plants of, of mice and men, right? Like it's, mm -hmm. if your players are on a completely different wavelength and you're into a longer campaign, you might have to just get on that wavelength if you want to keep playing or I don't know, maybe it's time to end this one and move on to the next one, right? But I do a lot of times go to my players and be like, describe to me this, you know, how are you talking to them? Uh, how are you? What does this room look like? Where are you heading next? You just try to ask the questions that lead the players to building the setting for you. Yeah, I, th I think for me, part of the problem for me, and I'm just going myself personally, is that I have a lot of, let's call it mental free time where I can think about things a lot. And I can't necessarily write them down as I'm thinking them. And so I tend to kind of group these thoughts into, what do you want to say? Like bullet pointed documents in my head. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then also I'm not a great typist. So when I get a chance to write things down, if I write it in handwriting half the time, I can't read it two weeks later. And also it's like, now I've got these bullet points and I know what I meant by them, but I can't always figure out how to, how to say it in a way that other people are going to understand what I mean. Yeah. That's, that's a tough, that's a tough one. Yeah. Communication, I guess, but. Well, I think it, yeah, it is a lot of just, it, from what you're saying, it sounds like it's a lot of communication. It's a lot of just trying to, sometimes you just have to say what's in your head and, hope that people understand what you're saying. I feel. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I guess from that though, you know, if you're a player in, in one of these, you know, be it session zero or campaign, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions because that can only help you, re you know, more clearly understand what the GM is going for. I don't know. And I guess maybe some of it is, I, and, and I'm sort of realizing this for myself and that many times maybe I think I have more of a concrete idea than I do. Mm -hmm. And and that may be a failing sure. on my part, you know, that, well, I've got an idea in my head, 
I can't convey that idea effectively to the table. And maybe that's where, you know, I don't know if other people struggle like that or too or not, but I think that actually could probably lead to a lot of confusion where we've all got a fairly concrete idea in our head, but they're not the same idea. And because we think we understand, we're not asking questions. And therein lies the state of perpetual confusion. I think that's a good name for the podcast, by the way. State of perpetual <laughs> confusion. <laughs> it's a good At name for your, for the episode. your punk band spinoff from the podcast. Oh, man. Oh, man. Don't tempt us like that. Just a whole group <laughs> of rocker boys. and Oh, anyways, sorry. I've got, I've got my brain on uh, Cyberpunk 2020 recently because I got to play some back at the beginning of October and it's really got me like, oh, I could go for this. <laughs> that, that's a good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I didn't even before we get into that, uh, any final thoughts on any final thoughts on anything on, on all this conversation we've been having? Yeah, I mean, session, session zero, folks. That's what it comes down to. That's that's. I mean, it always it always back down to session zero. But I, I, I do think that what you're really getting at, and what what is, is sort of like the crux of the issue here, is that uh, session zero isn't like a one and done thing. You you do session zero, and then you have your debriefs, and maybe you have a session zero point five, just like check in discussion, you know, individually with your players, and then I mean. You, you want to keep calibrating continuously. GMing well is continuously calibrating your performance, because it's a performative activity, to your players. And that, that's a, an ongoing process. Right. Yeah. Well, with all that being said, where can people find you? Where would you like to be found if you'd like to be found? Or do you want to hide under a rock and, and we won't tell anyone where you are? Um where would I like to be found? Yeah, I mean, in a somewhere on the the coast of Maine in my own cabin, that'd be great. But what are you, a Stephen King character? No, I'm just just a tired millennial on the East Coast. <laughs> um, <laughs> so maybe a Stephen King character. I don't yeah, know probably. Actually. actually, were you ever hit by <laughs> the a one car? that dies early? <laughs> um, were you ever hit by a vehicle? Because if you were hit by a vehicle, you're definitely a Stephen King character. Yeah. And might actually have died. So who, yeah. who knows? <laughs> no, yeah. Where, so where can you find me? Uh, you can find me, like we said at the top of the episode, I am a co-host of the Table Flip podcast. And that means that as a D20 radio network podcast, you can find me on the D20 radio network Discord. And we use our own little Table Flip channel there to discuss with listeners. I'm also pretty active on the Genesis community Discord server. Uh, where we talk about Genesis and um, complain about the same silly stuff uh, day in and day out. Uh, but every now and then, there's some useful nuggets that uh, pop out of those conversations. So if you're into Genesis, I strongly recommend you check it out. Uh, I do not do other social media. I don't tweet. I don't toot. I don't Facebook. I don't Instagram. So uh, you'll have to find me on Discord. Uh, every now and then I might post something on the Genesis subreddit or something under Swineflushmoo, but that's about it. Okay. The most happy to hear feedback from people. So on stuff I've released or, or recorded. So feel free to hit me up. Say on that subject, I know um, you've also 
got uh, a number of releases out on the Genesis Foundry that you've written or contributed to. If you'd care to share yeah. any of those with people. <laughs> sure. So I designed and wrote the Genesis Organizations, Legions, and Enterprises Management System, aka as Golems. That is a faction management system that sort of works with the narrative dice system in Genesis and is loosely inspired by Stars Without Number and its faction management systems there, but also there's a few other things that inspired it. Uh, I also am the author of, let's see, uh, I Declare, which is a uh, structured adjudicated social encounters. So it's for if you want to do a trial scene where you have a judge that you're trying to convince or a battle of the bands or something, something where you have like an adjudicator and then and your your opponent and an opponent and you're trying to convince the adjudicator before the opponent does so i declare covers that i also have released untethered minds which is uh, for lack of a better term sanity system sort of called cthulhu-esque sanity system for genesis uh, i am very explicit that i don't call it sanity in that because i think that's sort of a crappy term to use it is a uh, dissociation system and gets into... Uh, it covers all the same ground, though. And uh, that's for Genesis as well, and fits within their dice system and talent system, actually. And then as far as adventure content, I made a splat called Island Adventures, which is a golem's adventure seed packet, as I call it. Um, basically, it's a large region with a bunch of detailed adventure hooks and seeds. And also released recently a product called Ekedito with Scarpy, actually, uh, Kyle Sharp, who was on your podcast relatively recently. Yeah. And it is a uh, Android setting Golem's Adventure Seed packet. I dare say one of the coolest things I've released and is actually really uh, beautifully produced. So I'm actually super proud of it. All of those are pay what you want. With that said, uh, I am happy if you pay me money. <laughs> So even a few, even 50 cents helps because drive-through RPG doesn't track free downloads. Uh, it, it, it tracks it, but it doesn't track it for performance metrics. So if you download any of that and like it, kick me 50 cents just so that it gets some tracking on drive-through RPG and maybe rate and review. Um, but yeah, that's, that's five released. So. Cool. So you just, because it's something that I should have thought of before, but you mentioned, you know, that you're moderately active on the Genesis community discord and I'm a member over there. I just don't have the time to keep up with the post flow. Um, sure. At least not currently because, well, my employer would take a dim view of that. Let's put it that way. Um, I'm a terribly inefficient employee. <laughs> <laughs> but in the context of settings, are there any, and I'm not trying to pick on any settings work, but, are there any questions in in regards to settings that you hear come up on the Genesis Discord that seem to come up repeatedly? Uh, sure. I mean, I'm not going to finger point any settings in particular, I don't think. But I will say, yeah, there are certain settings that continue to have issues. What I actually see a lot of, well, aside from some settings that just like need more work and thought put into them, um, and th those should be relatively apparent if you look at the reviews and comments for them actually mm -hmm. but uh also what i see every not a lot of it, but what i see every now and then are, are are settings that clearly weren't originally intended for genesis and were put into genesis 
not necessarily as an afterthought, but without a lot of thought behind it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and those tend to have some of the biggest issues, just because, uh, frankly, the time doesn't. That means the time wasn't put into playtesting and thinking about it, because playtesting doesn't necessarily mean like sitting down with a bunch of players. I mean, that's great. That's ideal if you playtest with a bunch of players, but playtest as it is typically used also includes basically intensive proofreading and just having other people sit down and read your stuff and think about the mechanics you're proposing and say hey this doesn't make any sense or this is fantastic i like it and then iterating based on that feedback it's just having review and other and more eyes and the afterthought ports have the issue where it's like they don't get those eyes on them and uh, sometimes the the it's clear that the authors don't entirely understand genesis as a system and maybe just need to sit down and think a little bit harder about how the narrative dice and the narrative dice system interacts with what they're proposing in their material okay so in short maybe if you're doing this think about some of the mechanics and how that reinforces what you're trying to do with the setting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and remember that Genesis is a narrative setting. It is a, it, or a system. It is a fiction first, heavily cinematic narrative play system. So when you are designing things, you don't need to go crazy simulationist. You don't need to simulate every teeny itty bitty little thing. Uh, you need to create things that encourage cool stuff happening and encourage the players imagining cool stuff. So I, I don't know. That's not a very uh, that doesn't give like really concrete action items, but I, I, I think that sometimes people get because the kind of person who wants to make a setting flat is also the kind of person that probably likes tinkering with systems and likes you know pulling levers and tweaking this and that. But you don't have to do that constantly for the, for something that's like narrative focused you you just need to create a lot of flavor and then lightly touch what needs to be touched so that it works mhm well i think and and again i'll i'll speak a little bit from from some of the traps i find myself with is that you go oh it's a narrative system so we'll just handle that narratively yes but you need to make sure that it's being handled the way that you need it to for your themes to come through right yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh, well, so, yeah, maybe I should walk back what I just said a little bit. So you're, you are right. So keep in mind that everything is, 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 in Genesis at least, is really oriented towards a narrative cinematic end. But the means to get there still need to be mechanically sound to support that end. So one thing that, and this actually, actually, you know what, this actually ties into our earlier discussion about, like, expectations, right? is that a good setting, the, the best settings in my mind, not necessarily a good setting, but the best settings, and th- they all share a strong narrative focus. There's a theme that they're exploring. Maybe they're exploring transhumanism. Maybe they're exploring depersonalization. Maybe they're exploring community or, or, or cooperating across barriers or whatever. They, they have uh, one, two, three, a small handful maybe of these core narrative themes that sort of carry the fiction forward and then the mechanics support those focuses Mm -hmm. and that's how you should think of the mechanics supporting those focuses and they should support them in that they just make the players think about them in a a, a narrative and effective manner but you don't again i i still 
don't want people to think that like you need to go in and like engineer every teeny little number and uh thing like every granula has to be simulated uh so that you're basically running a video game that's because that's not what it's about but you do want to have your mechanics sort of poke the player in the brain in the right way to make them say oh yeah this is sort of like um you know my my this sis the setting that's all about the dehumanization aspect of transhumanism is all about my character losing their you know personal understanding of their body or something and it's like oh cool this is cool how cybernetics are doing this maybe they're reducing strain or something like that like there there's it, it's it's stuff like that that sort of like pokes your character your players in the brain in the right way mm-hmm. kind of, well <laughs> I, does think, that make sense yeah I, okay i i have a point here and not to dive back into it but i think this gets to something where i've realized because let's be honest, we all know Star Wars and Genesis are very closely related. Sure. One of the biggest difference being the talent system, where Star Wars has these defined talent trees, Genesis uses the pyramid. And tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I think that as a GM, if you're creating a setting either to publish or to just to play at your home table, you actually want to put some thought into what talents you allow in the game because what the talent trees in Star Wars do is they allow the different specializations to very much emulate different tropes that we see in the Star Wars media. Whereas Genesis being very much freeform, we can't make up those, those much more rigid trees, or they can't in the core books, because they don't know what you're doing. And while I'm not saying that you, everyone should go to the work of creating full-blown talent trees for their Genesis setting, having some restriction as to, hey, no, we're not using this talent. And I know there's guidelines in, in some of the books regarding this, but I think that's something that might actually bear more attention than at least some people give it. And certainly for your, your own personal homebrew games, something you want to think about maybe a little more deeply in that because then you're you're focused you know what the talent trees do is they focus the attention of the players in the direction that the game wants them to go in does that make sense yeah no a hundred percent so i think a good way to think about genesis as a as a system or the character sheet is that the the skills show you how to the skills are how you play the game Right, because that they, they and they are how you cooperate with the game. The talents are how you break the game and break the rules and really define your character, because that's like the heroic things that you. And that's even true in Star Wars, right? Because the heroic things that you see happen in Star Wars is, you know, when people do things extraordinarily unusual and and sort of break the rules of the game within the cinematic universe or the narrative universe or whatever the books and comics too. So the the way that you're breaking the game is. It, is the is directly tied into like what themes are you exploring and what tone do you have in the game so yeah your talents are like critical for a proper setting document you can't just like slap random talents in there you have to be really thoughtful about what talents you have if you want to have you know a a pulpy noir game you get stuff like the hard-boiled talent right where the name of the talent itself is sort of just oozing flavor and narrative content or you know if you want to do sci-fi and something with like ships and uh, space opera then you'll you know pick a whole bunch of like piloting talents because you know that's you know the, the pilot 
uh, doing crazy things to save the day is a staple of good space opera and, and good space-based sci-fi. So you, you want to have, you know, those talents to sort of like break the, break the rules a little bit and give those players opportunities to, to, to do something cool with the um, setting and tone. So yeah, for sure. So yeah, think about your talents. Absolutely. Uh, I'm not a big fan of talent trees, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just put that out there. Uh, I think they're super restrictive and they, they don't, I understand the appeal. I really like pushing my players to be as creatively engaged with my games as possible though. And I think that talent trees are antithetical to that because mm-hmm. they don't, they just say like, okay, go down the tree and you do the thing in the tree. But what Genesis does allow for, well, Genesis allows for talent trees first off. So if you disagree with me, you can be like, shut up, Micah, I'm going to do talent trees anyway. And I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but if you uh, want to do something that's sort of like as a middle ground, suggested talent builds for careers. So some of the later first party products from Fantasy Flight Games, now Edge, have that in, I think, Android. A Shadow of the Beanstalk has it. And I, I believe, I'm pretty sure, that Secrets of the Crucible has it, where it's like a suggested like mini pyramid. Like your first half dozen talents should look like this, maybe. And you can just like work through that as it's kind of like a tree. Mm-hmm. And th- those are usually like really thematically constructed. And that's another really good way of like sort of communicating setting and theme too, is just by you have your archetype, you have your career, and then you have these suggested talent starter build outs. And that mm-hmm. is like, okay, cool. Th- this is the face character and the face is kind of like a schmoozy con man. So like there's a lot of like scheming and, and uh, shady business going on because your face is a, is, is a scammer, is a con artist, right? Or, you know, heavy fighter guys, maybe a, some, some law-abiding person, right? It's, it's a paladin is your heavy fighting guy, and they have build-outs that sort of focus on that. So, like, they, they, that is another thing that informs your players what to expect from the setting, I think. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think we've, we've maybe re-diverged enough for there. I did want to bring up, <laughs> too, just because I have a copy of it, and they're friends of the show, and uh, it covers has some some steps that work through some of the stuff we've been talking about here um on the foundry there's a product from studio 404 uh brett phil and 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 company called setting notebook which is oh yeah it's pay what you want i believe but it's it's very neatly done and it's done like a workbook and you know has creating tropes select genre established tech level you know steps to go through again i don't think even you know they would probably tell you, you don't have to follow it word for word, but it gives you a lot of prompts to think about these things. And I dare say you could use this to create a setting regardless of what game system you were going to play it in, even though it's intended for Genesis. So just a little plug for our friends there and the foundry and and all that. All right. Cool. Yeah, it is a good product. Are you muted, Steve? I am muted, Steve. Ah, (laughs) And I was going to say on that bombshell, let's move into Game of the Week. Woohoo! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! All right, who's going first? I can go first. You're going to go first? All right. Yeah. I So we, we gave you a little bit of a rundown on how this works, Micah. Mm. So my game for this week is... Man, this is, this is cool and, and cheap. It's all of $6. It's a game called Chum. C-H-U-M. And it's a a lightweight roll and play social tabletop game about being lost at sea and surviving a shark attack. And I don't know, 
I think this is a great idea. It's a game that's really made for like one shots. Uh, they say it's zero prep, snappy one shots, fun, intense. I'm kind of down for a just throw it on the table and be like, here, look, let's all be shark, you know, shark attack victims for a minute. Like something like, um, what is it? Was it Deep Blue Sea? Was that the movie? Or any of those, like any of those yeah, shark it's... movies, really? <laughs> I think Deep Blue Sea was the one with the like the underwater lab, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, LL Cool J and Thomas Jane were in, yeah. I think. Yeah, okay, yeah. or um, what was the forty-seven meters down, which was the one they were tra- trapped in a trapped in a shark cage? Was that it? I think that was a document. No, I'm historically I don't know. based. I don't know. I I can think of the one you're talking about, but I can't remember the title. Uh, ye- t- I think it is 47 meters down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they travel to Mexico for a fun vacation and end up trapped in shark-infested waters. Yep, that's the one I was thinking of. Okay. 2017. This this can cover everything like that, though. It can cover sort of a drift on a raft to a sci-fi setting. Yeah, you could even... Yeah, that would be wild. That sounds super cool. I mean, I like the idea of like a a stranded-at-sea type shark game. For some reason, even though it like this seems like... According to the little blurb here, it's based on this hope panic mechanic. Right. I, it, I, I, that still sounds like a really quiet night in type game to me. It kind of does. Like, yeah, you're all like, yeah, we're just going to play a game about being like stuck on a, a, a raft in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and there's sharks and you might get eaten. I think it's the game that you bring. Like, I think it's the game that you bring to the table when the GM can't make it that week. Yeah, yeah. The, right, like all the players can be there, and it's like, oh, I still want to play something because it's like this is my you know Wednesday night. Can we pl- still play something and like throw that down on a table and just run it? I wonder if the hope mechanic works kind of like the criminal and bear and honey heist. I don't know. I I, I can't speak to how it works, but yeah. Well, I'm just thinking yeah, out just, loud. Yeah, I just picked this up, so I will be checking this out at some point. <laughs> Yeah, and so. it's it's so expensive. Six, it's all of six dollars. Yeah, successful game of the week. Yeah, <laughs> I, I also don't cash out any of the money I make on the foundry. I because I don't want to have to deal with like taxes for like hundred <laughs> bucks. So this is just like foundry money going into this. <laughs> all right. Well, who wants to go next? See, I've got one. If there are no takers. I'll pick somebody. <laughs> you cold call us. I'm back at school. All right. Well, I'll go next then. The heck with yeah. it. All right, so I, I can't match you for cheapness, yeah. but just the theme of this game makes it interesting to me. Whether or not it's well executed, I don't know, but there is a free quick start you can get, though, so oh. that's always an option. But my game of the week is a game, and I hopefully I'm going to pronounce this right, and it is Tian Shang Lone Wolf Fists. Let me put a link to you guys in the... Uh, I got it here. It describes itself as the world's preeminent post-apocalyptic kung fu action game. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which, I mean, let's be honest. The, the the blurb doesn't tell you a whole lot. The previews don't show a whole lot. They want 25 bucks for the PDF. It's over 300 pages. Um, it, says it has rules that not only allow, but encourage you to punch a tank in half, battle a scorpion demon, or fight an entire army with your bare hands. This just sounds like you're trying to play riffs again, Steve. Well, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm just picking up. No, this seems really cool. <laughs> uh, the, the concept seems great. Yeah. It might only be good 
for, I don't know, I'm not saying it's not good, but it could be just fun to pick up and then port it into Genesis or Savage Worlds or whatever your system of choice is. But I'm sorry, post-apocalyptic kung fu action sounds mm-hmm. like a good time to me. That's a fun Saturday night. Yeah. <laughs> Add Antebellum and you have uh, Into the Badlands. Well, there's that too. <laughs> that, that goes back yeah, to the running gag. You basically could just do it, yeah. Into that goes back to yeah we had this running gag early on that before the podcast started that one of us needs to build a rpg for into the badlands but neither of us have done it yet yeah like <laughs> i said just we'll just add antebellum to this and it'll be perfect so yeah that's mine like i said that's tian shang i guess t-i-a-n-s-h-a-n-g colon lone wolf fist the quick start hang on i had it on another tab and i of course close that tab uh, the quick start, I believe, is just called Lone Wolf Fist. Yeah, Lone Wolf Fist Quick Start. Blood from God's Eye. All right. So that's mine. This does look cool, though. Yeah, so I think... Hmm. Has anyone done The Quiet Year yet? No. I oh, don't really? Think so. I don't that's know. That's crazy to me. I mean, okay. That, that was going to be like... I guess I guess The Quiet Year is my game of the week then. Okay. Um, I was going to suggest some other ones, but if no one's suggested The Quiet Year yet, uh, The Quiet Year is phenomenal. And speaking of games that like you can just like sit down and have like a chill night playing, The Quiet Year is one of those games. Basically, it is a map-building game that it's GM-less, and it, it's kind of GM-less. There's like a, there's like a lead, but it's like softly GM'd. And then you all just like sit around the table and build up a map, and I think draw cards. It's been a while since I played it, and that sort of determines what you, how you add things to the map, and like what problems you face. And you just play through a year in this tiny little town that you've created, and uh, see if they survive the year before before the end of the quiet year ends. <laughs> That sounds very, and I know this is going to like sound a little bit morbid, but that sounds very relaxing. You no, know, it is. It is super relaxing. I absolutely adore that game. I suggest everyone try it. It's, it's, it might not even cost any money. It might be free. I don't know if it does uh, cost it's money. It's currently a few bucks. $8 on drive through. Yeah. It is worth $8 for sure. Yeah. It's something you can sit down with three four of your friends and just have like this like throw on some cool music have some neat lighting and just like play through this game for a couple hours it's 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 awesome it's phenomenal it's some of the best rpg sessions i've had um well and then at, at the end of it you have a map yeah and at the end of it you have a map that you drew and uh it will be a a wildly terrible map because all of you are drawing on it so surely uh, you are all not going to be good at drawing. <laughs> so, but no, yeah, but it is phenomenal. So yeah, and also you can. So what I've seen people do is they play this and then they use this as like the basis for the setting of their like full-on campaign that they do. Yeah, that's what um Adventure Zone did, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Their yeah, last yeah, yeah. season. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. I could see doing this with a group of players I've never played with before as a way to get a barometer of how they yeah. react to things. That would mm-hmm. be great. And then you have that, so a little bit of your buy-ins already there because the players have a personal attachment with the with the actual map setting itself. Yeah. I mean, what I like about it, too, is that it's like a community. So, like, you're not, 
like you're you're tied to the characters insofar as that like you're running a community like a you're playing a community of people which is super okay but i I also like the idea of like i really want to see more games where like you're not playing a particular character you're just like sort of playing a community Hmm. of, of of people surviving something and like really focus on that community aspect um Quietly yeah. is the only thing I've seen that really does does that. I would love to see like a game. I keep wanting to do a a, a game um called Caravan Story as a Genesis version of that, just about like a group of like people migrating over the course of a season or something, and just like creating a story of their migration path. And, like I I don't know, I, like games like that. I, I I think are super cool. Like I find them super cozy. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's on par with like Wander Home for that type of like yeah. finding your way back. Super cozy game. There needs right. to be we need somebody needs to. And and I don't know who it's not me, but somebody needs to come up with a term for these type of of games. <laughs> I think cozy what? gaming. Yeah, cozy. Yeah, that's a good term for it. I know uh, Wander Home, the creator refers to as a lyric game. Yeah, I don't think I know Wander Home. Oh, you should definitely check out Wonder Home. Yeah, J Dragon is fantastic, and that's yeah, that's a J Dragon game, and it's amazing. It, oh, this is super cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. This yeah. art is art is super rad. I love this it, art. Oh my god. Yeah. No. Right. Yeah. That's that's been game of the week before. Another oh, yeah. one. That, that given what you just said, it, it, it's not so much cozy, but. I think it plays strongly into the community stuff you were just talking about. There's a game got brought up on Game of the Week a while back called uh, Noirlandia. Oh, uh, yeah. And I think it's only available on Itch. Um, okay. But it's a GM-less sort of investigation game, but you build the setting and everything at the table for the session. Okay. Yeah, really It's, cool it's different. That's super rad. Yeah, I I really do like those things where you sort of like iterate live on the setting and like develop it sort of with your player. Like the the game is making the setting and making the world. I think is super fun. But like I think you know like your suggestion there, the quiet year to go back to what we were you know talking about all night, right? If you build your setting, you know, so to speak, you kind of guide your players through the quiet year as a pre-session zero, and then go okay, now let's create characters and play in this world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, so that's, yeah. I mean, I think, that's, I think that's actually something that a lot of people do now with uh, The Quiet Year, is that they use it as like their, their like session negative one. Sort <laughs> of. And then they go from there because they've built this little community and stuff. They, they maybe tweak it a little because The Quiet Year doesn't really lend itself super well to like continuing the community afterwards. But um, I think that's yeah. A, yeah, really common use. I also just picked up Wander Home too so uh, <laughs> this has been a success very successful game of the week plug. you're just gonna be you're just not gonna be back on the podcast yeah. for a while like this podcast cost me too much money yeah <laughs> <laughs> hit my wallet hard um no i'm super i'm super intrigued by wander home like just the art that's on the page oh yeah I oh it's gorgeous. absolutely freaking love uh, it's it's that you know it's very um very whimsical children's n- novel type yeah, art. Yeah, I mean, it's, it looks like the kind of game that I'd want to play with my kid when he's like a couple years older, when he's like five or six maybe. I don't know if it yeah. actually is, but it, no, the art um, makes me think it might be. 
a lot of people have described it as like, um, are you familiar? I don't know how much you're into like animation and stuff. Are you familiar with like uh, Over the Garden Wall? No. Uh, okay. It's sort of a, um, it's not an adult animated series, but it's a very serious animated series. Okay. But gorgeous art. Oh man, Over the Garden Wall. I that's a recommendation. If you haven't seen that, I would recommend watching it out. It's on HBO right now, I think. If it survived the purge. Oh perfect. I'll have to find it. I mean if it's if it's pretty enough art, my kid's not old enough to understand what's going on. So <laughs> Yeah. But with all that being said, we want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking with us today. Thanks for having me. This is super fun. Yeah, as Thank always, uh, links to everything are in our show notes. And uh, yeah, we want to remind everyone to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Peace. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast, on Discord at Me and Steve RPGs, and as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you, and be kind to one another. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You gotta go down the street to the store and buy that. Say on that subject, I know um, you've also got uh, a number of releases out on the Genesis.